Behold, I make all things new. In the name of Jesus. Amen. In the chapel at seminary a long time ago, I remember one time a professor, Jim Veltz was his name, uh, got up and read the reading, which was for the day, and then just sat down. And that was, his, his point was that sometimes the reading doesn't need any more than the reading. And as witnessed by the beautiful reading of our epistle reading, that might be one of those cases, but, but alas, I'm not Jim Belt, so I'm going to, <laughs> going to preach. I said it's an epistle reading, although it's not really an epistle reading. The book of Revelation contains seven epistles or letters toward the beginning, but the the whole thing is this grand vision. This grand vision given to John, presumably the Apostle John. We're told he's on the island of Patmos. You might know this. Uh, Patmos, uh, one of the, the Greek islands, beautiful, I'm sure. But, but John isn't there on vacation. It's exile. Uh, venerable tradition says exile uh, as a result of one of the persecutions under the emperor Domitian. Same traditions say that Domitian's goons had uh, previously tried to kill John, first by boiling him in oil <laughs> and then making him cloth poison. But since those didn't do the trick, they, they shoot him off to Patmos, where he has this, this glorious vision. This vision which is meant to, to comfort, to steal and to strengthen people who never know when it might be their chance to be boiled in oil or perhaps to quaff some poisons, meant to steal and strengthen a, a, persecuted, a persecuted people. It says to them, you, you, you suffering folks, you downtrodden children, you brothers and sisters of the Lamb, in the midst of such suffering, take heart, because God yet reigns on his throne. That's what the whole book is, back and forth between this horrible suffering down here, and then these pictures of God reigning on his throne, and the Lamb victorious over it all to say to them, no matter what you're going through, victory is assured. Victory will come. The handful of verses that we read come right at the end. In some of the most beautiful parts, it's after all that destruction and suffering is past, the the devil uh, and his beasts have been tossed once and for all into the, into the lake of fire. We're told that the sea is no more. <laughs> Which doesn't mean no fishing or, <laughs> or surfing or something like that. The sea, the sea in this world represents all that is chaotic. The sea is from whence come all the storms, both literal and, meta- and metaphorical. It's the place where evil giants like Leviathan lurk. And so when he says the sea is no more, that is to say that all of this is now gone. The sea is no more, and pain is no more, and grief is no more, and suffering and tears and even death are no more. And so the Alpha and the Omega, the Father from his throne, cries out, Behold, I make all things new. And that's the vision. That's the, that's the hope. It's the promise which is sealed with the blood of the Lamb. It is not yet come, but it's to come. And like I said, it is meant to strengthen and steal you, whether it's boiling oil or quaff poison or whatever it might be, wherever you are now, to steal and strengthen you. It is that. But it's not only that. 
In fact, I'd like to spend the, the rest of this sermon talking briefly about two things. Two other things, a vision like this of the God who will make all things new. What a vision like that does right now to those who have been given a little peek of it. The two things, at least as I phrase it, it makes them mad. And it makes them move. Mad and move. The first is mad. The very last line of Revelation, if we were to flip over a few pages, has a a group of folks not exactly sure who they are crying out, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Earlier in the book, we were given this vision of these saints under the altar of God, looking at all the garbage going on down below and crying out to God, How long, Lord? How long will you allow all of this to continue? You see, they're mad at least in an agitated, uh, anxious kind of way. They're ticked at the state of things now precisely because they know what will come. Hurry up! Fix it! Maybe it's like if you were to visit a a horrible slum somewhere, maybe the the slums of, of Calcutta. You show up there and your heart breaks. When you look around, maybe not only your heart breaks, but your blood should also begin to boil as you look at this and you see people living the way they are. And the reason that happens is because you know that stuff like that doesn't have to be because you know about things like indoor plumbing and reliable electricity and readily available antibiotics and a social welfare network. You know that people don't have to live this way. But then you start talking to people. And they're just kind of resigned to it because they've never seen anything different. But you get mad because you know there is something different. It's a little of what a vision like John's does or should do, I think, to the Christian. Because you've seen what will be, you look at what is and it ticks you off. Other people might look around and say, well, yeah, just the way it is. You say no. I know better. I've seen better. I've been given a vision of the world where the sea is no more. Where instead of people devouring one another, they sing together. And it makes me angry to see anything otherwise. I mean, the, the, the uh, examples are easy to come by. A, a close one, if any of you were able to attend last week's Bible class when Chaplain Joe Veroxa from the Albemarle County Regional Jail was here, he talked about a lot of his ministry, wonderful stuff, but a lot of it could have, maybe even should have, made you more than a little bit angry. <laughs> so there's nothing about tough on crime, easy on crime, and stuff like that, but when you hear about the fact that 50 to 75% of the inmates there are on some sort of psychiatric medication, something I can witness to myself. And then you also know that when they're released, most of them are more or less just shown the door and told to start walking. No family, no support group, usually without their meds. It might make you kind of angry that we have a system like that. Say it doesn't have to be that way. Or later in the day, something more personally, I was uh, walking with my family from a parking garage to a restaurant we were going to have dinner in Harrisonburg. And some dude approaches us out of the shadows. Remember, it was kind of cold that day. So he had a blanket around his shoulders. He had no shoes. He was glassy-eyed. What do I know about this guy? Not much. But it's Mother's Day. So I figure he had, or has, 
a mother, if he still has a mother, I figure she's probably wondering where he is. And what you're probably expecting me to say now is something like, and that made me mad because I've seen the vision, whereas the spiritual song sings, all God's children got shoes. And that did happen eventually, but not until he asked me for money. And I very hurriedly said, sorry, can't help you, and kept walking. And then my son asked me, Dad, how come you didn't give him any money? At which point I was not only mad at the fact that there are guys like him in situations like his, but also mad that there's guys like me in situations like mine, who instead of even pausing to look the guy in the eye, maybe even give him a couple of dollars, hurried on my way because after all, I had a reservation. In other way, in uh, words, I was mad at my own lousiness, my own self-centeredness. And part of the reason I was mad, because I've seen more than Calcutta, because I know there is a more and better world coming for me. <laughs> part of that vision where there is no more pain and no more suffering and no more tears, no more sorrow means that there's no more of the stuff inside of me that causes things like pain and suffering and sorrow. You see, when we look at our own sin and we realize our own sin, just like when we look around us and see how messed up the world is out there, when we look within, we're never just okay with it either. We can never just say that's the way it is and always will be, because it won't. We're never just okay with it, whether the it is out there or in here. Ticked off with that righteous anger because one day what? Behold, I make all things new. And because it's already begun. This is the second part now. Can't remember where I heard this. It was probably a podcast or something, but a guy was talking about visiting a slum of some sort. It wasn't Calcutta. It was something. It was something in the United States, but a a, a difficult, depressed area. It's the cold of winter. Uh, an inner city. Uh, the streets full of drug dealers and prostitutes. Eight, ten-year-old children out at midnight or later, walking around with gangbangers. The sort of stuff you see when you've seen the vision makes you mad. But then he tells how he looked up in the distance and in a window far away, it was winter, he saw a single strand of Christmas lights. A couple of the bulbs not working, but a single strand of Christmas lights in the midst of all that darkness, just a little bit of light. And you know who's hung that string of lights? Someone who had read and trusted Revelation chapter 21. Someone who had gotten a peek of that vision hung those lights. That is, they were moved and then moved in the midst of the former things. Why? Because they knew the testimony of what was to come. This is that second part. Yeah, you're mad when you see it. It's not supposed to be this way. And the reason I know it's not supposed to be this way is because I've seen a peek of what will be. But you're not just mad. When you see the vision, you're also moved and moved. Because you see, the thing is, 
You see, the thing is, the day when God will make things completely new, yes, it is yet to come. That vision, revelation, all this other stuff is past. The sea being no more, the coming, it is yet to come. But it's also the testimony of Scripture that it's already started. We could turn back to chapter 1 of Revelation, where John calls Jesus what? He calls him the firstborn from the dead. Paul proclaims Jesus the first fruits of a new creation. That is, there's more fruits to come. The harvest has become. says that those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have already become the new creation. Behold, those who are in Christ Jesus, new creation. You know, I think it's like this, maybe. It's probably a goofy analogy, but when you're boiling water, this is what came to me. When you have the, the heat on the bottom and the water's not yet boiling, but all those little bubbles start forming on the bottom. <laughs> and every once in a while, one of those little bubbles shoots its way to the top. Long before the full boil has started, the heat hasn't gotten there quite yet, but every once in a while, one of those little bubbles shoots to the surface to say the boil's coming. Once in a while, a bubble from the world to come shoots to our surface. Say some grace restores a relationship, or Jesus says to a self-centered me or you, you are forgiven. Once in a while, a little string of Christmas lights shows up in the slum. Maybe you buy your glassy-eyed brother some shoes and actually look him in the eye. And because you know the eternal day, the great I make all things new, the full boil is coming, you see those things, all those little things that others might look at and say, oh, that's just stuff happening, coincidence, someone trying to make themselves feel good in a world which is really bad. You look at that and say, no, those are bubbles, those are foretastes, those are hints, those are rumors of what will be. You see them, in fact, as evidences of what God is already doing. You know, some years ago, they had those bracelets. Maybe some, I actually had one. Probably should. It's a, the WWJD bracelets. Only like people like my age, like they don't think they do those anymore. What would Jesus do? Whatever. I mean, I don't think they were the best, but I won't get into that right now. But I have, I have a different bracelet. Rather than looking at my, at my wrist and being guilty that I'm not doing what Jesus would have me do, I'd have a bracelet that was WIJD. That would say, what is Jesus doing? Right now. (laughs) Because it's easy for me to lose the eyes and to forget that Jesus is already beginning to make things new right now, all around me. So again, if you were here last week and heard this stuff from Chaplain Joe that maybe made you a little angry, you'd also heard him tell some stories. Maybe this one, love this one about this couple, a father and a daughter, both in jail, probably drugs, something like that, in and out of jail. Both in jail, they didn't know it, they don't have communication, they're different sides of the jail. But through Joe and others, Jesus got to them. They came to faith. They were baptized in the jail. And get this, this father and daughter, who didn't even know that each other were in jail, who had been estranged, didn't know much about each other at all, both in the jail, on the same day, baptized on the very same day. Now, they couldn't be baptized together because they can't have the men and the women together in the jail. But imagine, and this did happen, the father being told, the daughter from whom he thought he was estranged, the daughter from whom she thought her father was estranged, hearing together on the same day, your father is now your brother in Christ. Your daughter is now your sister in Christ. Now, someone might look at that and say, oh, that's just some uh, uh, 
a rosy-eyed chaplain trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon. That's one little tiny thing in a system which is otherwise completely shattered. But not you. You've got your bracelet. You know a bubble when you see one. You recognize the Christmas lights and you see that for what it is. You see that as God getting a head start on the new creation. Is everything new now? No. In a messed up world with messed up things like those jails, does it seem like emptying the ocean with a teaspoon? Yes. Will you and I ever make all things new? No. That's God's job, and it's not yet. Our job is not to renew the face of the earth. If you think it is, you'll just end up depressed. (laughs) You can read the rest of Revelation, see how bad things are going to get, are already getting, as the earth and its inhabitants grow older and colder and more senile. Our job is much simpler than banishing the sea. Our job is simply to bear witness to the coming newness. Our calling is to not grow weary, no matter how few the bubbles, how broken the bulbs, or how scarce the foretastes. To in our actions and word, to move and act, not because we're going to fix everything. Man, we can't even fix ourselves, let alone everything else. But in our little little ways to say, maybe as a bit of protest, to say, I do what I do now because I am a child of the one who will make all things new. So a vision. Steeled and strengthened, yes. Made mad, made to move. All for the same reason. Because we've seen the vision. Because you have heard a word from the future. Behold, I make all things new. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.